Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Magazine Debrief, podcast the 23rd of April. This week I'm joined by regular podcaster Dan Worth. Hello. And we have a special guest star, Tez Digital Editor, Simon Locke. Hello. Okay, let's get started. Okay, so our first piece we're going to start with is a How I Teach feature on teaching a subject I think I can say with absolute certainty has never been on the curriculum and probably isn't a topic you'd normally think about teaching discreetly. Right, Dan? Yes, um, that is a very good way of putting it. It's uh, about hopefulness and it's a really nice feature. This from a person called David Alcock, a teacher, obviously, geography teacher. And he talks about how he made it, he sort of led a very proactive uh, attempt to teach pupils about hopefulness, about why they should be more hopeful, about why there are reasons to be hopeful about what's going on in the world. And he sort of sets that in the context of the fact that, you know, with climate change and uh, inequality and, you know, protests about all kinds of social ills that are taking place, it can be easy to feel despondent about the state of the world. And he they surveyed their students and found that many did seem quite, quite down on, on the state of the world. And from that, they came up with this plan to have a whole day, which I thought was really nice way of doing. They had a whole day of looking at reasons to be hopeful. And they put that in context. They looked at certain topics and used stats and data to sort of show that actually you may think, you know, things are bad. But actually, if you put it in a wider context of using real data, you can find out things aren't so bad and what, what improvements are taking place in different parts of the world. And then again, they surveyed the students afterwards and saw that actually their optimism about the world had improved, their worries had reduced. And I just really liked that. I thought it was a really nice, proactive way of tackling an issue like being hopeful, like having faith in the future, particularly when we do hear so much doom and gloom, and actually using time in the school day to talk about that and break it down. And and, and, te- and that, that sounded to me like a, real sort of like a, like a conference, you know, something very sort of high end. That's what I liked about it, like the students having, let's have a day and let's talk about the world, what's going on in it. And I think that, I think that's a nice, you know, maybe, maybe not every school can have the time or the inclination to do that, I don't know, but I think it's just you can find time to do these things and, and have a big impact. I definitely think we can feel hopeful about the fact that their hopefulness increased. Mm. So that was a, when I, when I got to that point in the feature, I was like, yes, yes, actually yeah. all of this is worthwhile. It's worth putting the effort in because it had a positive impact on the students. And it's so easy to try and get, get kids caring about the state of the world and to, to be more empathetic and to think about the lives of others. But then, yeah, you can go too far, make them just feel like everything's doom and gloom. And we don't, we don't want that, do we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The the piece I talk about um, shortly is, is on a similar vein. And it's, you know, there's there's very little room for good news um, at the moment. And getting kids engaged with these sorts of topics um, can leave down a sort of rabbit hole of, of doom sometimes. So giving them optimism, highlighting some of the great things that like, you know, the human race has achieved in the last however many years um, is is a really good way to go and a, and a good sort of counterbalance to to some of the stuff we've had to sort of endure over the last year, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I that's like, the point. I like it like at the end of the year when they do like the top 20 good news stories of that year and all the things that, all the wonderful things that have happened in the world that perhaps we've ignored, like looked over because of all the dreadful things that have happened too and taking the time to highlight like those good news stories. And you know what? Yep, this school did it as a big drop down day and had a, had a focus on it, but there's no reason why you can't say, right, registration each day, we're going to focus on a good news story and talk about how this can give us hope. I think you can take this idea and the, and David explains it really well in his piece, but you could adapt it to suit your context. And if you couldn't have a whole day dedicated to it, I don't see why you, it wouldn't work split over the course of an academic year. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good point is that you don't need to do it blockbuster if, if it doesn't quite work for you. But I think like say even that five minutes at the start of a lesson, like bring a positive story or, or discuss or something. And, and, and again, I, I just think you're right because like positive change happens in the world all the time. I mean, any cursory glance at human history, right, shows that things get better. We now live in heated homes. We all have indoor, you know, central heating things. That's that's an improvement, right? But it happens so slowly and so gradually that we don't really appreciate it. And you have to stop whereas negative stuff is just bombarded with headlines. So we sort of feel like it's just always going wrong. But actually in the background, the, the, the path is upwards and improvement. And like with climate change, and I do think climate change has reached this point where that I think you do see this slowly that people are talking about it in a more temperate way now, maybe a little bit. I mean, obviously not in certain quarters, but if it's all doom and gloom, it become it does become quite despairing, doesn't it? And you sort of feel like, well, no, we have to improve and solar panels are improving and wind turbines are being erected and we're using more clean energy in the UK every day now. You see these stories coming through. And I think that's important to show that we actively have a, we can improve things. Of course, because if you don't feel like you can improve it, what's the point of even yeah. Try, trying? Yeah, And it's, it's something that comes up in um, sort of mindfulness and things a lot, you know, there's room to sort of be be grateful and be thankful for things during the day and taking a bit of time out to to recognise that. And it's a really good mental health practice. So tying that in with, you know, some positive news stories as well is a great thing to do, like a, as part of a sort of daily routine or, or once a week, um, just as a sort of, yeah, as a mental health thing at the moment. Mm. Well, yeah, and actually that's the point because the pandemic has been nothing but negative in, in in its overall message although we have seen lots of positive stories through it you know like so captain tom moore i mean what that was such you no know, wonder the nation took to that right because of how positive and uplifting it was as a story in amongst all the negativity and that's a good example isn't it? it's like you could show that to a child and say there was a bad thing happening and this one man a bit like greta Thunberg in a way but in a sort of different you know the same side of the coin or something just did this simple thing and it led to this all this positivity and change and, and there's that's a hopeful story isn't it and Okay, it may be sort of more anecdotal, but you could then go into that with data and say, well, actually, literally rates are improving in, in parts of the world, or solar panel means we're we're now using less, you know, coal and gas, and that means climate change has come down. And yeah, I think I think what this school has done is really sort of tapped into something that that's practical and important right now. And and I hope people who read this or listen to this conversation then go and seek it out and think, actually, yeah, like your point, Gordon, you're like, how could we just five minutes a day? Could we add a positive moment? in every classroom for five minutes and then crack on with geography or history, whatever it is. So definitely worth reading. If you feel, feel a need for a tap into a bit of hopefulness, find the feature, it's in this week's magazine and that'd be great. Okay, so our second piece this week is one that Simon has chosen and chosen well. And if you don't agree, you could probably get some tips from the piece on how to start an online position to object. Sound about right, Simon? It does, yeah. Um, and it segues beautifully from um, from Dan's chosen piece, actually. And um, also, uh, it's written by uh, the lovely Gwyneth Hallahan. And I haven't picked it just because she's on the podcast. It is um, a really interesting read. Uh, it looks at um, the rise in activism among young people, um, which is tied to what, um, what's been labelled the sort of Greta effect. So um, obviously, Greta's sort of a poster girl for for youth activism at the moment um and rightly so and she's led to a real rise in 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 sort of youth engagement in these sorts of causes climate change um black lives matter that sort of thing and the piece looks at how um teachers can sort of channel that um 
and and tie it into um, topics they might be teaching. Obviously, there's loads of ways you can you can link activism to sort of science and politics and history. Um, and there's there's probably it's it's a sort of sensitive one because there will be students out there who probably look at um, the scenes you see on the TV and think I could do with a day off school and I could maybe go and sort of cause a bit of cause a bit of trouble in the town centre. But also the large majority will be genuinely really really engaged, and it's about sort of making sure that the they're, they're doing this in the right way. Um, and also responsibly, because obviously there's there's safeguarding concerns. We've seen the um, the Tories trying to get through this this protest bill. That what might lead to protesters, you know, with criminal records and locked up. So there's there's a lots of different strands to this. But um, I think the piece looks at all of them really nicely, and it's you know it's such a good opportunity for, for schools to sort of tap into this this um, engagement among young people, and just it's just about doing it in the right way and really capitalizing on it. And I think, yeah, it's, um, it's a really, it's a massive topic and a, and a really mm. good one to sort of dig into. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You, that, that was a, that's a very good sort of summation of it all because it is such a complex topic, isn't it? And it's great if students are engaged, but then if it detriments their future life, because they get, let's say get arrested for protesting or, or anything like that, well, that's not so good, but also you can't just pretend these things aren't happening. If, if you know there's a protest taking place next week and it's going to be busy as a, as a, teacher or as a lecturer in a college you know should you have a responsibility to talk about that or make them aware of the issue and it, there's a good point in the piece which says some young people might just like the idea of waving a banner around and being in a protest not really knowing what it's about just going for the fun which again I, I mean I think that's fair enough in a way but I think more importantly is then you talk to them and say well what is the protest about what do you think and then sort of counterpoint and, and trying to use it as a chance to actually engage people in a debate and a discussion because that again isn't isn't some of that actually part of what school and college is about which is getting people to engage with the world you know it's not just we always say it's not just about the exams is it it's about answering the world or, or applying critical thinking you learn in a lesson to the world and going, we well, yeah, okay they're saying that but, but what about this oh i've not thought about that that way before and then you might get different class debate and as long as that's done respectfully and, and healthily which i'm sure it would be then, then that is like you said something it's a very it's a great time to take real world things and bring them into the classroom and show the, the connection between what you're doing in school or college and what, what's going on down the road that's something that really struck me when I was interviewing the college teachers for the piece, that um, they were all just so pleased that their students were taking an interest of the lives of others mm. that were in their, their communities. And and it was just taking that chance of, oh, you, you want to hear about this? I can tell you a lot about this. And then that's when you start having the more intelligent conversation about it and actually thinking about, okay, they're protesting, you're interested in this, right? Let's take that now and make make links between all the things you've been studying so far in school and what you know about the world. And, you know, this is your chance to actually form an opinion. And that's quite exciting, I think, as a young person. Um, did you ever do any activism when you were at college? No, no, never really. I, I can't honestly think of a time when there was anything like, like with the Greta Thunberg climate protests. I can imagine the students would have been really enthused by that. And maybe like Simon's point, some of them just as like, oh, it's a chance to sort of go off school. But no, I don't think that ever happened. I suppose it is a tricky one, though, because you can imagine as well when, if well, there had been something, and would you know, would one's parents or teachers be saying, you know, you're not to go to that, you're to be in school, and you know, the tension between those things is hard, isn't it? My mum loved a march. She used to take <laughs> my um my little my my older brothers when they did the the Margaret Thatcher milk snatcher marches. She brought mm. my brothers on those, but I didn't really do anything till I'd got to university. My university was quite political. They did mm. lots of stuff, but I don't. 
We're, we're from a generation, unfortunately, where, where social media wasn't um, part of our college. Well, I, I think I'm speaking for everyone here that um, social media wasn't a part of us at college life. So that's obviously brought young people a lot closer to the action, you know, TikTok and things like that. They're, they're exposed to, you know, real time footage of these things going on. And it's all very apparent. Um, not making excuses for our lack of activism when we were younger, but um, <laughs> just sort of contextualising a little. Well, everything was just perfect when we were growing up. Oh, it? it was a yeah. protest against so. <laughs> I remember at uni, I did Feminist Fridays, where you would go into the supermarkets and turn the um, magazines that were, right, like the, yeah. yeah, those sorts of magazines, and you would turn them round and replace them like with Anglers Monthly instead in front of the covers <laughs> to hide it up, hide it all. And I used to make my little brother come with me and do it. Yeah, well, that's, that's a, that is a form of activism as well, isn't it? And yeah. that's, a good, that's a good example, isn't it? Because you could have a good discussion about that. Like, is that right? Is that ethical? What are you protesting? Is there a better yeah. way of doing it? Is is actually quite a good way of doing it because it's like a visible thing? Mm. And yeah, yeah, it, it's good, isn't it? But I suppose what I wanted to ask you, when you wrote this piece, did you talk to anyone who, when they said on the off record or anonymously, or did they say either it gets difficult because they do have to be informed on the debate and what's going on and you know we know how busy how hard that could be on everything in our own lives and so suddenly you've got 30 children in front of you talking about this big protest on something you've got to think i can't just go like oh yeah what's it about you have to know right <laughs> so they they some of the teachers i spoke to said that they found it interesting and quite a challenge especially um when it happened when it, local things were happening mm. so they were then having to say right let's all look it up together and having to search and yeah. check exactly what they were protesting about and I think that that's true for um was it Extinction Rebellion right at the start it's like exactly what what mm. is it that they want to protest because that was one of the criticisms wasn't it that it was too vague or it was too too like far-fetched what they were asking for and it's that like trying to work out what what's a criticism and what's actually true so mm. you know not just repeating things that you yes. like it's it's trying not to be bringing your echo chamber into the classroom and they talked about how that can that can be quite difficult and you don't want to to um impress your own values and beliefs onto the students you want them to to lead them to make their own decision and if it differs from yours that's that's okay isn't it it doesn't you don't have to all be of the same mind but you want them to make their decision based on facts not mm on extreme views that they've read online yeah it's a challenging one isn't it and i was i was running about that as well like how do you you know where does the line get drawn between what's the protest that you hear pupils attending that you think is mm. yeah you know they're going to go okay and others we think oh that's a safeguarding issue if they go into that march and that mm. you know that part of town and i guess that's a different topic entirely in, in some ways to what we're talking about here which is more that more sort of the activism that people know and like you say protests that have always happened protests against brexit mm. or protests in, in favor of certain things you know that they're sort of well within the boundaries of what we're talking about here. But I suppose that's a whole other issue, isn't it? Like, what do you do? That's safeguarding. What do you do if you know people's are going to a march that has a different intent entirely? But yeah, interesting for, for teachers and college lecturers. I can imagine it's a whole other area that you can't, like we said, we can't, you can't ignore it. You can't pretend it's not happening because that seems like the least or the worst option. No. And I think just because this is the FE feature this week doesn't mean that it's not a useful read for secondary and even mm. primary because we're going to see this trickle down effect I think the Greta Thunberg effect is going to um to find its way all the way down because I think it's something that's just talked about more now and and with social media is something that's more apparent to our young people so get hold of a copy and read it okay so now our third and final piece is my pick this week 
we've got Nikki Cunningham-Smith's growth mindset column on how older members of the department should embrace the NQT keenness. And I took the opportunity to catch up with Nikki to ask her about the story behind why she wrote it. We are today talking about that stage when you do first start into teaching and you're really, really excited about being a teacher and you have bags of enthusiasm and then you get into the staff room and those, those, there are those older, more experienced teachers who are slightly, oh, perhaps wearied by your enthusiasm because you're, you've written our growth mindset piece this week on exactly that topic. Do you know what? It's the, it's the teachers that accidentally take the shine off the apple, isn't it? Because, you know, you come in and you're absolutely buzzing and you've got your new shoes, you've got your new outfits and you're like, I'm ready for this. You haven't quite had that year 11 clash yet, by the way, uh, period five. Um, and then there's just that um, almost this Yoda type teacher in the corner of the staff room that I'm like, you'll learn. And I, I always find those people really frustrating. It's like, maybe they won't need to. because I've never felt like that. I've never felt burnt out by teaching. Um, I've always felt, I might have had my moments when I'm like, oh, this is a lot, but generally I don't, I'm 10, 11 years into it and I still feel quite, you know, if anything, the pandemic got me teaching a few more lessons and I was like, God, I miss, I actually miss this, this side of it. I've been in leadership quite quickly into the career and I've really enjoyed the actual interaction with students. So yeah, it's it's almost like beware of the, um, (laughs) beware of the coffee the corner, the, the, everyone knows the spot basically where the energy drains might. Yeah, Yoda's very generous of you. I was thinking more like Uncle Jack. <laughs> Drink, girls. Well, it's because <laughs> the reason why I say Yoda is because because you're so new, you think they know everything. Yeah. That's the. I think that's the problem. And I think when I've when I've thought about this before, when people have kind of gone, you almost have to earn your stripes before you can speak up I don't believe that's true because sometimes teachers don't necessarily come straight from university they could come from industry and there's things Mm -hmm. that they could teach you because of that but also even if you have come straight from university there's things that NQTs have taught me even if it's just technology and I'm an IT teacher so you know something that's very new I think one I remember an NQT taught me about how I could uh, have something dictated and it saved me so much time. And even though I was using the dictation software, the one I was using was so dated and ridiculous that I didn't know any better. So I think we get into this kind of, I think it's the pay scales that do it, by the way. Oh, that's a, that's a take. Go on. I think it's, um, unless you're M3 or above, mm-hmm. please don't say anything, love, kind of situation. <laughs> I, I honestly do. I feel like, if you're on leadership scale, then you must know everything. Mm. Um, but until you're at, and if you start applying for UPS, then you become a type of oracle. But you're not allowed an opinion if you're on the M1 to 3. And I, I don't, it's a weird one, but that's just how I think sometimes. And do you know what? I think you're almost forced to take an opinion because you are on M3. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think, I think sometimes schools can accidentally, um, value longevity over mm. personality that's not to say that the people that haven't been in it a long time don't have a lot to contribute and I think that's really important as well but I think sometimes maybe in our profession we're maybe more aware of 
how long people have been doing it because you know if someone's an NQT, you know if they've, when they've started. Unless you go into a new school, um, people can track how long you've been in it for. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily the case with everything. I don't know. And and I really like the fact that you you made a point of saying this is an opportunity, not a threat. Absolutely. It just so is because, I mean, I see it from the, the stance of when I play netball, I really don't mm-hmm. know everything. And I've been playing sport for years and years and years. And there can be a 17-year-old that comes into the game and absolutely schools me on it. And it might bruise my ego <laughs> for, <laughs> for a bit, but it's something that I can go away and think about and really learn from. And I think that sometimes where we don't learn from newbies is the ability to park our egos at the door and go okay I want to learn from you I want to know something different I want to um expand but the other side of it is we're playing the the both sides of it is there is the scrappy do element as well where you are exhausted by the the new person like and you can do this and you can do this and you can do this and I've read this I've seen this on Twitter and you're like whoa (laughs) slow down scrappy do you'll get the kind of situation so I can see it from um both sides as in mm. enthusiasm is really good um but then if you're hearing something because sometimes in in education things do just keep coming round and round and round and round and round and round so when someone comes to you and says oh i've heard this new thing it's really good for emotions you know it's called the blob tree and you're like um i mean it works but it's not new <laughs> photocopied version no one knows where the original of that blob tree is if anyone has the original of that blob tree document please show me no one's seen it it doesn't exist it's it's i don't know it's it's with the old testament somewhere it's not there so you so if you've seen things yourself in your time and someone's been really enthusiastic kind of trying to put it to you you can maybe accidentally be dismissive but Mm. actually they need to learn on their their own as well Situation. And you can't tell some people those things. You need to let them live it and do yeah. it and 100%. just let them make that mistake because it's better for them in the long run because it's a, not, you know, obviously within within reason. Yeah. <laughs> don't, let, don't let, no safeguarding concerns. Like that's, <laughs> that's separate. If they start suggesting things like, oh, I could do this firework display in my classroom, then step in. I don't know. I might let that happen. I might just go, what, what lesson are you doing it? <laughs> I am drawing from personal experience on that one. Maths department, thanks for that. Um, no, that's a bad idea. The bin will like catch on fire. Say, I'd like to say I'd say that's a bad idea, but I feel like I'd be like, cool, I'll come past and see what goes on. <laughs> so slow down on a Tuesday. Let me see what's going on. What, what period was it again? Oh, I yeah. think I'm free. <laughs> um, could you do it during uh, period four? I quite like a fire drill, actually. I've got my year nines um, before lunchtime. That'd be bad to get So, of course, up. that's a bad thing to do, and we would never, ever do that. <laughs> never. But within reason, sometimes you have to try these things out, see not just like they'll go wrong, but knowing how it goes wrong, that matters. Yeah. And so then you can adjust to tweak it and make it work. Definitely, because actually, as teachers, we do let our kids learn by doing. We do let mm-hmm. them experience. Um, and then sometimes it doesn't matter how many times you tell someone something, they're not going to learn it until, uh, this is a kind of a Jamaican saying, those that can't hear will feel. And I'm pretty sure they meant it in a different way to this, but it does still work by the sense of, you know, if you don't listen to the advice, you'll feel the, the consequences of that. And it could yeah, be yeah. that you have a disaster or that you waste hours laminating mm. <laughs> something like that that um you reinvent the wheel um I mean I've done it myself where I've, I've written a whole scheme of work and then 
um, and someone pointed me in a direction like, no, I've got these ideas. And I found pretty much the same scheme of work that, because you can't really write it. You can have ideas, but generally you kind of need to stick to what the exam board says and things like that. And I couldn't help but think how much time I wasted if I'd not just maybe even used that framework in itself. So it's not a bad thing to to experience and to let people get it wrong because Mm. then... They will, and also they won't think it's you that's imposing it. Because I'm pretty sure if I went to an yes. team and no, you can't do that, they'd be like, mm. "Oh my god, Nikki is such a blah, blah, blah. She won't <laughs> let me be myself. She won't let me like I got into because teaching is this amazing environment that once you're in your own classroom, you're almost your own line manager throughout the entire yes. day. Yeah, and that's one thing that drew me to teaching. Like I wanted to be part of something, but I also wanted to almost be in charge of my own world and that's what a classroom is it's your world it's how you do it. it's how you work with it so if I had someone that said to me Nikki you know you can't do that I don't know how I don't think I, I've been quite lucky I've never had anyone in my career that has mm-hmm. done that all my heads of departments have probably realized the type of person I am or have been quite laid back where they've gone this is the scheme of work you need to get to this point mm-hmm. um I'm happy for you to do anything but if you get terrible results, you better be able to explain yourself is the kind of situation that I've been in with all of my classes. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it means that you're able to, they have given me advice. They have said, maybe don't do that. And I have ignored them sometimes, but the way they've done it has let me get it wrong and then go, okay, that's my learning curve. Whereas if, if that first head of department coming up, no, you can't do that. I think I would have just been more annoyed at him then actually tried to think, why has he said I shouldn't do that? And um, um, we're just coming back to relationships again, aren't we? Everything yeah. in a school, it, between the teacher and the students and between teachers and other teachers, it boils down to building strong, good, collegiate relationships, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, I get sometimes a bit annoyed when I see people say that it isn't about relationships because it frustrates me in the sense of... Yes, we do have a curriculum to, to, to deliver. We do have, um, you know, outcomes that we need to achieve. But I can't think of a more person-driven industry than education because we're actually sculpting, working, moulding, understanding. Yeah. Um, and those relationships, I, I don't care what anyone says, the second one of those relationships breaks down, whether that is between pupil and teacher, teacher and admin, admin and parent, parent and SLT, oh. the second one of those relationships breaks down, you're actually fighting a battle. And it, mm. it's as simple as that. And I know this from my Senko experience, that when I have an amazing re- uh, relationship with the parents, everything gets so much easier. But sometimes I would inherit situations where the relationship had broken down maybe from primary. So the trust was gone before I'd even got involved really. And half the time, all I was doing was trying to rebuild a relationship. Forget about all the SEN stuff. I had to rebuild a trust and relationship before I could even get close to problem solving and putting in place what was needed. Because if the parents and the child was on side, it was a losing battle immediately, straight away. Um, so yeah, I do get frustrated when people say that teaching isn't about relationships and rapport because I think it's actually completely at the core of it. And anyone that can function without them, I'd like to see what that looks like because <laughs> I, I, I can't imagine what that looks like personally. A robot android world. So yeah. your piece, 
people need to go go and read it because yeah. it's a lovely story of relationships and the importance of embracing that NQT enthusiasm and being kinder. Yes. And you know what? NQT to me only means not quite there. So, you know, yes, you're not quite there, but that means that you've got a lot of lovely time to figure it out, kind of get there, make those mistakes, and you've got a safety net of a head of department and I'll just shake their head and go, oh, bloody NQTs. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I will say thank goodness I've got teachers who are new to the profession and keen to teach my department and I will help them grow absolutely this is not a anything adding to my time I'm more than happy to give you all of my expertise and let you bloom and grow into god I'd love to meet my I'd speak to my NQT uh <laughs> my mentor again and she's like shut up be what you're paying me ass <laughs> I don't believe it for a second. Thank you so much, Nikki, for chatting to us. And I hope to see you in the podcast again soon. Yeah, whenever. Thanks for having me. So I think that feeling of a newcomer's enthusiasm grating on the older members of a team is one that we can all recognise. And although Nikki is talking specifically about NQTs in this piece, I think her advice can also be applied to teachers who arrive with bags of energy at any stage of their career. You can either embrace it, or squash it. And I agree with Nikki that embracing it is the best option. It's exactly as she says in her piece. It's an opportunity, not a threat. But even though I say that, I think that there's times when I've been in a team and new people come in and they're all that that sort of that little bit of naivety about, oh, it's going to be wonderful. This is a great idea. And you think, oh, I've done this before. It's not going to work. And trying to to suppress your own cynicism because it's not, it's not helpful, is it? Reminds me of... Uh... The day you started at Tesgonia, I think. <laughs> mind, but <laughs> we embraced we embraced you fully. That is that is right, though, isn't it? Because you're actually that that's the funniest bit is when someone new comes in with loads of ideas and they say all these things, and you sort of know because of the context of where you're working and the people that you'd have to ask to help with that. You think, yeah, that's not going to work because <laughs> they can never know that because they don't know they don't know the context. But actually, in some ways, that's the worst response, isn't it? Because you've got someone who's keen. They might be the one who's able to break through that kind of that, that person who's usually so difficult to get to agree to something. It might suddenly just be a bit overawed by this new upstart person and be like, "Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get that built for you." And then it's like, "Oh, what? How did they do that?" Or you know, the new person got so and so to to do that. You know, and I don't want. Yeah, I'm not going to put any department on the spot, but you know what I mean. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? And- <laughs> but it's it's that's why change is good. That's why I think it's really healthy to change schools and change change roles because unless you get those shifts, you don't prompt other people who originally would have said no to the previous person who's asked for it Mm. they suddenly start saying yes because it's change and I think that enthusiasm can either be contagious or it can be really irritating and if you can't find the contagion in it then you probably need to change yourself definitely I was I was speaking to an international head actually um earlier in the week and he was talking about turnover obviously internationally um schools are seen to have a bit more of a turnover people perhaps on a on a visa looking to explore and um and he's talked about this sort of sweet spot where you get the right amount of new blood coming through and it freshens things up and it brings in new ideas. And then, but you don't want too much um, stagnation. You don't want staff just sitting around and having been there for years and years. There's, there's this sweet spot of, of getting new staff in, but not so many that it, you, you struggle to sort of build a, a sort of ethos and a soul of a school it, it was an interesting point and I think probably one that applies to schools all over the world yeah definitely and I think it's difficult isn't it? because if you've got an NQT particularly who's come in and they're fresh from you know from their training and then they want to put it all into practice and 
their ideas might be great in the, in theory, but in the real world classroom, maybe not. But similarly, is that your mindset that's a bit like, oh, we just don't do things yes. like that here? And actually, yes. you have to stop and think, you know what? Just because I can't do that or I don't like doing that or want to do that doesn't mean this person shouldn't be given the opportunity and they might have a massive success with it or it might fall flat on their face. But let's not just go, oh, no, we don't do that here. Because that's mm. like the worst, isn't it? And that's just kill. And why, why put down enthusiasm? You know, it's energy that wants to be channeled. And okay, maybe their idea is is a bit wayward, but actually, let's see. There was actually half of that could work, or we can adapt that into something we're working on, and we could harness that positivity or that new thinking, and and make something of it. So I think to just yeah, like someone said earlier, just to quash it is that's the worst thing to do, isn't it? Because that's helping no one, and you're and you're putting someone down. And it's such an assumption. It's such an assumption to think that an NQT hasn't got enough experience Mm. to make that judgment. You don't know this person yet because they're a new member of your department. They might have had extensive experiences teaching in schools before they did their teacher training. You don't really know enough of their history to dismiss their idea as Mm. naivety or inexperience. And I think, you know, that's more for you if you don't listen to the the ideas of others and to, to be not not condescending but like just wait and listen and try it before mm. you you dismiss it too yeah, quickly and the, the nqts coming in are often the ones with the, the most recent research fresh in their exactly. memory from their itt and they might actually bring something really groundbreaking to the table where you know older staff may have been just doing things the same way for the for however many years yeah. i think yeah it's about finding a balance isn't it because there's there's experience there's value in experience and having done it but there's also value in kind of a fresh look. Yeah. Well, a good example of that, I think, is in journalism is social media, isn't it? Because you remember like 12, 13 years ago when Twitter came along, all these things, there was so much like lame sort of, oh, Twitter, what's that people having their breakfast? And it was, and I actually was at the time was that young, you know, enthusiastic journalist, if you can believe. And I was at a company, I said about Twitter, and I said, we should be getting our magazine brands on Twitter. And it was met with this sort of vague sort of, no, we're not doing that. And about... (laughs) Oh, I don't know, six months later, maybe a year later, they some, you know, big social media strategy was introduced in the company. This is after I'd left, but I heard about it from a friend. And and it was just sort of that classic thing of like, yeah, because it was like, oh, we don't know what it is. We're just going to ignore it and pretend it's not a real thing. And how many people were like that, I bet, back then in 2006, 7, 8? And now social media is integral to journalism and, and what people do. And yet, and so many people could have been ahead of the curve. They could have got more followers. They could have built yeah, up that kind of expertise yeah. way ahead of, because it was new and this novel, the easy, quick thing to do is just to kind of go, oh, rubbish, I don't know, what a waste of time, breakfast, or, you know. And it's just like, well, no, it's not, is it? It's something. Find out what it is and work out how to use it. And yeah, that's what your, your young upstart, you know, enthusiastic, yeah. however you want to term it, employee can do for you. So it's a really good piece. Make sure you give it a read. Thanks for listening. That's all for this week. And we'll see you next week. If you enjoyed listening to this week's issue of the magazine Debrief podcast and want to read more of Tez magazine online and have it delivered to your door, subscribe now at tez.com forward slash store.